it's it speaks to welcome shaheen how are you i'm doing great thanks so much for having me on mark i'm really excited to have you here man and i'm really excited to get this conversation going because i think you've really identified something that a lot of people want to know about and that is is it still possible for me to make money as an entrepreneur and sort of that rags to riches journey which is your story you've lived this story but before we get into the weeds and before we get into the conversation i'd love it if you could tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do yeah absolutely so i started when i was really young and by that i mean when i was 15 i left home seeking my fame and fortune here in venice beach california went off basically sleeping on the beach no money no friends you know no idea what right. i was gonna do and i met a mentor and I kind of started in the electronic music scene, the rave scene. And I started to notice that I could frequent the clubs late at night and I'd be able to sleep behind the speakers. There was something about that repetitive drone of that EDM electronic music that I could just crash. And, you know, these parties would start at like, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, which was perfect. And they would go until the morning hour. So I could just find a spot behind the speakers, manage to sneak into one of these clubs and, you know, hang out a little bit and then crash out. It was great because I didn't have anywhere to live in those days. So what I realized was that these clubs would happen week after week, all the time and all kinds of days. Right. And there were people who were making money, but it wasn't the promoters because the promoters were always broke and always running from people, hoping not to have to pay them. So I started right. taking a little bit of a, a deeper look at it, Mark. And I was like, who's making money? Must be the DJs, right? Music, musicians, they make money. And then those guys were always standing out broke as fuck with their hands out. Like, why isn't anybody paying us? I was like, well, it's not the DJs, but who's running? It's got to be the people that own the building, the real estate guys. Nope. Most of these were break-ins. Most people would, you know, find a way to get a warehouse and you would be doing these in like broken into old clubs or warehouses. So it wasn't the real estate. Can you take a guess who you think it was who was making the money? The drug dealers. Exactly right. Good call. Good call, my <laughs> yes. man in Canada. So it was exactly the drug dealers. And I noticed that they kind of, you know, subsidized everything just to keep it going. They'd always be standing outside with a smile. Well, I realized at an early age, you know, I, we came from Iran, migrated from Tehran. I was born in Tehran and came to the United States just in the late 1970s and to a Jewish family. And I realized that I was neurotic as, as fuck and that I would probably be really bad at crime. Like even thinking about crime makes me nervous. And so I thought, well, Dealing drugs probably wouldn't be the right move for me. I'm, I'm way too neurotic. And I'm just, it's, I see people who do crime and I see some people are good and some people are bad at it. I would be in the bad at crime category. Right. So I was self-realized enough to know that that wasn't for me. And I started to look at what kinds of drugs these people were selling, the nuances of it. And the majority of it was this one particular drug called the ecstasy, which was booming at the time. But there was a problem. The supply had completely dried out. 
All the governments were pressuring really hard to keep the supply out. It's a difficult drug to synthesize. It wasn't simple like, you know, weed, they can just, you know, get some, you know, they, they just grow it, right? This was something you had to actually synthesize. So they needed somebody with chemical knowledge to produce it. And right. the supply dried out. Well, the drug dealers were desperate. And I was there, right time, right place. And I thought, what if I came up with a natural version of this, legal ingredients, nobody could go to jail, was safe, and then put it through the same distribution? And that's what I did. I had no money. I went out there using influence, using negotiation, which I know you want to talk about, and managed to produce my first batch, which were these like disgusting goo-filled uh, goo filled balls. I didn't have a machine to make capsules. So they were just goo balls that we dried using blow dryers. I, I basically made it in a, in a girlfriend's kitchen in those days. And I took it to the club and I walked up to the first drug dealer. I saw the biggest guy there. And I was like, dude, like you're out of product, sell this. And he said, fuck off. And then I said, yeah, you know, okay, I get that, but maybe give it a shot. And he did. And an hour later, I was looking around the club. Everybody is pointing to me like, that's the man. And this guy came back and he just looked at me and he said, how soon can you get me more? And it was on. And so it went from one guy in a little club in LA to a hundred guys, to a thousand guys, to 10,000 guys, to me having several offices in Venice beach, employing everybody and their mother literally and waking up one day to walk into my office, Mark, to get that the news broke that we had broken a billion dollars in revenue. Now, wow. mind you, Mark, this is pre-internet, pre-social media, before Facebook, before you can Google everything, before any of that stuff, we had broken a billion dollars in revenue. And I was freaking the fuck out because... I didn't know how much a billion dollars was. So they had told me that we had broken a billion dollars and all the news stations wanted to interview me, CNN, MTV, all those channels. And I was thinking, fuck, man, they're going to ask me how much a billion dollars is and I'm not going to fucking know. And so I'm grabbing books. I'm yelling at people who are working for me. And they, they calmed me down. They were like, hey, man, they don't care. They don't care about that. They just want to see the long hair kid. I had long hair in those days. You can see from the, the cover of my book. I don't know if you can tell. But um, I had long hair in those days and, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was a little bit of a shit starter. I was a rebellious young kid in his late teens and we were literally printing money. We were making these pills for 25 cents. We were selling them for $20. It was a cash business. And from there, it was a wild ride. And I, I write about it in my book called Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. Um, for any of your listeners that are interested, I've got a podcast out by that name, Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. And the first chapter from the book is on there for free. You can check it out. But it tells a wild story of this teenage kid who was effectively sleeping on the beach with no money going on to creating a, a billion dollar empire, one of the most successful supplement empires of all time. And that's how I started. It's an incredible journey, man, and an incredible story. And, and you came to me through Chris Voss, who wrote the forward for your book. Tell us about that and, and sort of the experience of working with Chris for that forward and, and what he saw in your story to make him think, man, this guy's, this guy's got chops when it comes to negotiation. Yeah, Chris is a friend. 
and uh, a good friend. And also he is a mentor and a hero of mine. He's a guy I look up to. And I remember reading his book, Never Split the Difference, when it came out. And I thought, man, this guy's different. Because it's not the old balls negotiating tactics that we know. Chris, obviously, you know, being an FBI negotiator, learned early on that there's a different way to communicate with people. And by using what he calls tactical empathy and really getting yourself under people's skin rather than negotiating from a place where you're on top of them, uh, very, very Eastern uh, in his, in his philosophy about that, he has become an absolute master of negotiation. So I think it's, it's really interesting. You know, there's a interesting part in my book where I talk about how one day a man showed up in my office with a million bucks cash. And then the next day I was on a private jet to Tokyo to meet with some people. I didn't know who they are. And it turned out that it was the Yakuza and they were demanding ownership of my company. And it was a, a crazy story. We won't go into it, but for the people that are interested, my book comes out in August and you know, you guys can check that out. But um, Chris is really a hero. He's one of these guys who's really a, a human being who comes from a place of service, of serving people, and serving people from a place of humility and kindness. And really, regardless of which side of the negotiation you're on, treating people with kindness, respect, and empathy, which I think are are so missed these days. Yeah. You know, one of the things that keeps popping up over and over again in the shows and and the conversations that we have is dealing with conflict and dealing with sticky situations. And I would be a total jackass if I let this story go. You just brought up like the most interesting hook about the Yakuza demanding ownership of your business. How did you get out of that? So it was an interesting point. Um, you know, and it's an interesting story. And again, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to go full into detail about it because it's in the book, but ultimately a lot of it came to standing my ground and being fearless because I was remember, you know, in my early twenties, late teens in those days. And uh, I was fearless. I had nothing to lose. So there was an element to it where it was kind of me against, you know, the Yakuza boss in a, in a stare down. And part of it came with me just standing my ground. And, and the other part of it came with being empathetic to their situation and what they wanted. So there was a little bit of tactical empathy employed, but also understanding that we came from we came to, I should say, a different culture. And, you know, I come from an Eastern type culture, you know, from the Middle East and Iran, from, you know, what's Asia. And they also came from an Eastern society. So, you know, in Western culture, when we get involved in negotiations, it's very hard. It's very, you know, driven, very yang, like, all right, let's sit down. Let's get to business. How much you want to pay? How much do we want to, you know? But Eastern culture is very different in that you could be involved in a negotiation and not even know it. They generally speaking, want to get to know you first. So you might have several sessions where you just go and have drinks or hang out or eat or drink tea and talk about anything but business. 
And on the final meeting, they make a determination on if they're going to do business with you. So learning the subtleties and nuances and the cultural differences wherever you're at is super important. Similarly, you know, if you're going to be negotiating with gangbangers, there's a culture there. If you're going to be negotiating with corporate business people, there's a culture there. So it's it's very important to understand not only the the microchasm that you're in, but also the little microclimates that you're in when you're negotiating with people. So in that case, it was really, you know, an issue of there was several negotiations going on at the time. And it was a matter of them kind of trying to see who was going to bend first. For the, there are going to be some entrepreneurs that are listening to this and some people who want to start their own businesses listening to this as well. And your story is, is, is so, it's, it's so clear that sort of the start to finish of like the rags to riches journey. One of the things that you talk about is, um, is it still possible? And, and one of the things that people think about often is, is it still possible? And so maybe I'll ask that question to you. For those entrepreneurs that are listening right now, they want to ask the question because they've seen you going from, you know, once they read the book, going from reading or sleeping on the beach to a billion dollars in sales. Can someone still do that? Everything is possible. I, I truly believe that, not just as a meme, but somebody said, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're right. Henry so Ford. a lot of that comes down to mindset. And the better question may be, is the mindset still possible? And, and the answer is, of course, yes. Right. Things change with time. And that's one of the, the interesting things because you know now what I do is I teach people how to create predictable recurring revenue on the Amazon platform and how to start these Amazon businesses and sell products on there. And one of the things that Amazon has taught us is that things change rapidly. And right. if you are equipped to move with that change, you will do really well. But if you're not, then the world will pass you by. So you have to be ready and willing to move with the changes, move with the flow. You know, I am a, a student of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I've been taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu for almost five years now. And it's one of the interesting things when you get on the map, it's a grappling art, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for anybody who hasn't heard of it. Once you get on the map, you might have a plan. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the guy in this position. I'm going to do that. But your opponent might be doing something completely differently. You have no control over what the opponent's going to do. And that changes the entire game. Now, if you're rigid and you're thinking, okay, I've got these answers to these moves and the guy does something completely different, you're stuffed. But if you come at it with a growth mindset, a learning mindset and thinking, hey, I don't know what's going to happen on there. I know that there's these probabilities and I have the tools and awarenesses and intuition to, to deal with them. But what's going to happen is I'm going to go into the setting of, of war and business is war. So it's a very similar analogy. And I'm going to watch what happens, watch what's given to me and adapt. I'm going to be able to be adaptable in any situation. Then you're going to do just fine. Then it doesn't matter. And similarly, in business, you've got to be adaptable. 
And that's one of the key elements, I think, of grit, of, of being able to adapt to any situation. Like before our interview here, you and me were talking about the old timey guys like, uh, you know, Thomas Edison or Henry Ford and all these guys. And you look at these guys and occasionally I'll meet an old man that's kind of cut from that cloth, right? From the old like Napoleon Hill kind of like, whatever you think you can do, you can succeed in life as long as your mind is right. And you look at these guys and they didn't have any of the stuff that we had, but they had adaptability. I bet you anything you could take one of these guys, put them into a room now, and they'd be like, holy fucking shit. They don't know how to turn on a fucking light switch like one of today's light switches, but they would adapt because they're tough motherfuckers. And that's what you want to do. So when I look at people who come on to my Amazon coaching program, when they call me and they're like, hey, Shaheen, I want to make money on Amazon. One of the criteria we use for if somebody's going to be a fit for us or not is are you adaptable? Are you planning on going out there and making it be like a casino? Like, Hey, I'm going to throw the you know chips on these numbers. And if it hits my numbers, great. If not, then I guess this wasn't meant for me. Or are you fucking going to go out there and no matter what it takes, get that win. You're going to make that nail go through that fucking piece of wood. If you're going to use a hammer, a sledgehammer, a shotgun, your wrist, whatever it is, don't use your wrist, but a rock, whatever it is, that nail is going to go through. It might take a thousand hits. It might take two hits, but you're going to make that happen. And if you can do that, yes, you can go from rags to riches. You can go, you can go from rags to millions, to billions, to whatever. It's very possible. But what's more important is the fact that you can be adaptable, that you can be changeable, that you go in there you know, expecting the worst, ready for the best, ready for the worst, doesn't matter what happens, but you know that you have this ability to move through any environment. And when you have that, it's like uh, a Latin saying, they say, uh, I, I believe it's pronounced nothi sutan, know thyself. I think they said that that was over the, one of the great libraries, the great ancient libraries that said, know thyself. And why is that important? Because when you know yourself, you know your weaknesses and you know your strengths and you know that you're adaptable and gritty and ready to go out there and to do whatever it takes, be, be ready to do whatever it takes. You might not have to do whatever it takes to succeed, then the world's your oyster. It's the people who go out there who are like, man, I'm going to do my best. I'm like, fuck your best. You're going to go out there and get it done. Right? I don't want anybody who's going to do their best. Your best is shit. I don't care about your best. I want to know that you're going to get the job done, right, Mark? So when either one of us hire somebody to come work in our respective businesses, do you want somebody who's going to be like, dude, I need you to do this, this, and this? And they'll be like, well, I'll do my best. Like, fuck that. I don't want somebody who's going to do their best. I want somebody who's going to get the job done. And when you come at it with the mindset of I'm that motherfucker, I'm going to go in and get the job done. You can be the best in the world. And, and interestingly enough, look at the great fighters. Look at Mike Tyson. Look at um, the Gypsy King. Those guys, right? These guys are, are warriors. And they're, they're not going in going, okay, well, I'm going into this heavyweight bout and I guess I'm going to do my best. No, fuck that. They're like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to die or I'm going to fucking crush that dude. I'm going to knock a motherfucker out. That's what they're going to do. And when they go in with that attitude, you see these cases where they're best in the world. Same with other athletes, same all over the world, same in business. 
Bezos doesn't go out there to go, well, I'm going to do my best to go, go to space. He fucking gets in there in that big dick shaped flying saucer that he's in. And he, you know, he fucking goes to space. Same with Branson. These guys are out there getting the job done. And that's the mindset you want to be in. You want to be like, you know what? I, I'm, I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm adaptable. I know that the world is changing and I know that everything changes. Combat is a changeable environment. Like Bruce Lee said, be like water. Why did he say be like water? Well, because water takes the shape of whatever it's in. It's unclear what water is going to be poured in, but if it gets poured in a vase, then it takes the shape of the vase. If it gets spilled on the rock, it goes around the rock. If it hits soil, it gets absorbed in the soil. And if you can master that, the world's your oyster. Yeah, I love that. There are two major themes that I picked up there. One is the adaptability theme, and I love this. This is so key for negotiation as well. Um, it's really important to plan and prepare and have everything done and build your fundamental skill set and all that kind of stuff. But if you're not adaptable to the way that the negotiation moves and shapes, then you'll lose out on a lot of value. In fact, there's an academic, his name's Michael Wheeler, I believe. He's a professor at Harvard. He wrote a book about the the implications or, or like negotiation is almost like jazz. Good negotiations is almost like jazz music, how some musicians are playing off of each other. And at the end, you get this beautiful piece of music, but no one knew what they were getting into prior, prior to that music being played. Yes, they knew what they were doing. They had good fundamental skill sets. They had practiced a great deal, but the the music that came out at the end was a result of the back and forth between both parties to liken that to business and negotiation i think is brilliant and the other thing that you mentioned there was this mindset of being focused about driving towards getting getting it done i love that you said your your best isn't good enough because i there is something that someone once said and i can't remember who it is so forgive me if i quote this if someone listens to it that let me know who it is. But they said, the best you can do is not all you can do. There's a difference between those two things. Because for example, if I said to you, you know, get on a pull-up bar and do five pull-ups, you may do two, and that's the best you can do right now. But is it all you can do? If you rest for five seconds, maybe you can do another two. If you rest for fi another five seconds, maybe you can do another three. And next week, you're going to be able to do 10 right? So the best you can do is not all you can do. So making sure that people understand that you, you, yes, you need to try your best, but remember, that's not all you can do. You can do more than that is so key for people to understand when it comes to business and negotiation. Go again, try again, ask again is, is the key to succeeding in this whole thing. I love what you said there. Um, your whole deal now is creating these predictable revenue outlets and streams to make sure that people have multiple sources of income so that they can build that. Tell us a little bit about that. So sometime around 2009, 2010, um, we noticed uh, through the grapevine that Jeff Bezos was opening up the Amazon platform to allow third-party sellers to sell on there. So before then, you could sell books, but you couldn't really sell products on the Amazon platform as a seller like yourself or me or anybody. And Bezos decided, hey, I'm going to open it up. Not only that, allegedly, he went out there and recruited some of Walmart's top fulfillment people. And fulfillment is you know, when they pick, pack, and ship your product and ship it out to you. 
and gave them a blank check, allegedly, to start the best distribution system in the world, which is what Amazon is. And so they did. They built out the warehousing. And so now as a seller, you no longer needed to pack and ship and go to the post office and do all that. You ship your product to Amazon. Amazon will ship it to the end customer, right? Because presumably you're getting your supplement from Amazon, but you're also getting your kids' diapers and you're getting your detergent you're getting all the stuff and Amazon will put it in a box and there's an efficiency of scale. Well, when they did that, I thought, hey, I was developing a new smart drug, something called Accelerol, which is a brain supplement. I don't think you can get it in Canada, but you can get it here in the States. Um, it's a pretty potent uh, nootropic brain supplement that we were selling at the time. And I thought, hey, you know, this might be a good distribution channel. So I put it up there. I didn't think much of it. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning to thousands of orders. Now, this is a $120 supplement, was like a high-end supplement. And I was like, holy shit, this is it. This is the new game because they're spending millions of dollars to get eyeballs on my product. And so I you know, made a change, like we're talking about adaptability, and decided to learn everything that I could about mastering the Amazon platform. How do you sell on there? How do you make that search engine, that platform, your, uh, your tool for selling your products? And so we did, and other people started coming to us. And then, you know, people were like, hey, you know, we want to hire you, but we can't afford you. So we developed a course. And that course is everything you need to know to start an Amazon business and to launch a product and become a seller and to empower yourself to create these predictable recurring revenue streams. And, you know, Mark, you know, for any of your listeners that are interested, you know, we've got a one hour course. It's normally 200 bucks. I'm just going to give that to them for free. So anybody who wants to reach out to us, let us know that, you know, you heard us on the, is it negotiating ninjas? Is that what it's called? Negotiations ninja. Yeah. Negotiations Ninja. So just mention Ninja and we'll give you that one hour course for free. You don't need to spend any money. It's everything you need to know to go from A to Z on Amazon, create a business, sell a product, and you can do it from anywhere in the world. doesn't matter if you're in Canada, in the UK. I've got people in South Africa. I've got people from United Arab Emirates. We've got people from all over the world doing this now. And you really just got to think of it as another stream of of income, uh, but also as like building real estate. You know, the markets here in the States, I know in Canada too, I've heard that they're just crazy. The real estate market has, has gone through the roof. And what I tell people is, look, you want one of the pillars, one of the foundations of your financial well-being to be real estate, but you don't want to buy in at the wrong time. Now is an amazing time to be focusing on building that other real estate, your business, your e-commerce business that you can build for the next year or two and turn around and sell for however many millions of dollars sometime in the future. And then take that money when the real estate market is down and invest in cash flow positive real estate, which is one of the ways that wealth was created in this country was through real estate, climbing the real estate ladder, which is what you want to do. Amazing. Love it, man. This has been such an amazing conversation and you've had such an incredible journey. My guess is that people are going to want to buy this book when it comes out. I think by the time this gets published, it will be out. Will it be available on Amazon, obviously, for people to buy? Yeah, absolutely. So the book's going to be available on Amazon. It's called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Cult. It'll be out in August. So depending on when you're listening to this, you can just check. 
Um, also, you know, like I said, we've got the podcast, but we also do a podcast called Hack and Grow Rich, where we talk about these topics and more. So if you guys want to subscribe to that, we would appreciate it. Just go on to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to Hack and Grow Rich. And if you guys are interested in getting the free course, you know, the $200 one hour crash course, reach out to me. That's fbasellercourse.com or go to shaheenshan.com. We'll include the link in the notes below. And I'm sure, Mark, you'll include links to your listeners and just mentioned Ninja. And we'll, we'll make sure that you guys get that for free. Absolutely no cost. Amazing. Listen, man, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Really excited to read the book. Um, and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, appreciate it. So honored to have have uh, been on your show. Thank you so much.